Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11, and at this point in 2 Kings, it's always good to be reminded of where we are and what we're studying, because when we began our study back in 1 Kings, the kingdom of God was united under King Solomon, David's son. But by the time we finished 1 Kings, the kingdom of God was divided. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, And now our study through Israel's history is pointing out to us the various kings of leadership. So in the northern tribes of Israel, there were 10 kings, or excuse me, there were nine, up to the north, the 10 tribes in Israel, there were 19 kings, and not one of them was good. And to the southern two tribes of Judah, there were 20 kings, and depending on how you look at it, there were eight good kings. And the end of the history of the southern kingdom will be the scattering of Israel in 726 BC by the Assyrians. And then remember, Judah will be taken captive by Babylon in 586, which is the Babylonian captivity that kind of ties together our study in Nehemiah and Ezra. And so we're looking at the history of Israel, the real true history as we are learning the spiritual lessons of the relationship of God with his people and God with his believers. This is under the old covenant. Uh, This was prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. This was the relationship with God through the sacrificial system. And just like we see today, in many ways, God uses imperfect people and will even use our failures, man's failures, to accomplish his will. Now, Part of the exciting part of our study through 2 Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, has been these two men, Elijah and Elisha, and watching their lives as they become these spokespeople, these spokesmen for God, or another way that that is described, it's not just a spokesman for God, but they were God's prophets. They were the ones that were speaking on behalf of God to primarily a rebellious nation. And God was using them in miraculous ways to send messages to the leadership of the nation. So with that in mind, uh, where we've been, just a little summary. If you want to catch up in depth, we did introductory studies both in the beginning of 1 Kings and also in the beginning of 2 Kings where we went way more in depth than this. But it's good to be reminded where we are and, and where we're picking up now in, verse 11, in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord. What does your Bible say? For how long? Six years. You might just want to mark that because it has much to say about how long God may have you waiting for something. For six years, uh, this kid is being hidden while Athaliah reigned over the land. 
So our attention now is turned away from Elisha for a while down to the southern kingdom of Judah. And there is no king because Jehu killed Ahaziah back in chapter 9. And now we meet this woman named Athaliah, Ahab's daughter. And she was just like her wicked dad. And sees an open door to seize control. She sees a weakness to take advantage of the nation and she wants the throne of God. But I, I don't want you just to think of this in the political military realm because everything is not just political and not just military. There's always a spiritual side to things. And this is the king was filling the throne of God. And so it wasn't just a military power, you know, like a coup, but rather she was wanting to take the throne of God. And she was a wicked woman. And so here you have wickedness wanting a place of leadership among God's people. Now, I want you to fast forward now. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, because there's great application for us as we think of Athaliah wanting to take the throne of God. In Acts chapter 20, pick up with me in verse 28, where we have Paul the Apostle giving strong words of exhortation and warning to the leaders, to the elders, of, of Ephesus, the, Ephesian, the, church, the leaders of the Ephesian church. Notice with me in verse 28, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So who owns the church? Jesus does. Why? Because he purchased your life and mine by his own blood. No man has ever done that for you. No movement has ever done that for you. No pastor, no priest, no preacher, no elder, no deacon. Only Jesus Christ owns us in a very real way because he purchased us by his blood. Notice verse 29. He says, take heed to yourselves, take care of the flock because I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. A strong warning. Hey, be on guard. Be, have your spiritual edge in order. Take heed to yourself. Make sure you take care of your own spiritual life first so that you can take care of the flock of God. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The people of God belong to Jesus. He bought them with his own blood. Why? Because I know this, he says, verse 29, that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he says in verse 30, and also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. There is always a press and a pull and a push of some to rule over God's people. Wickedness and wicked people are never far from places of authority among the righteous. And for us in the last days, living in the days in which we are, we are warned of false teachers. As Paul was warning in the first century, we have warnings over and over again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it speaks of another Jesus. If anybody comes preaching another Jesus... In Galatians chapter 1, it speaks of a different gospel, a counterfeit, to watch out for the counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit gospel. 
And Paul says, I'm telling you, after I leave, not just wolves, but savage wolves, they're going to come in and they're going to take advantage of the church. And on top of that, even some of the people you trust the most, some of the people that are among you right now are going to rise up and do great damage to the body of Christ. And I have to say, having been ministering here for many, many years now, savage wolves, whether they come in from the outside or really those that have risen up from the inside that have been entrusted with much only to show their fangs at a later date are the most painful for a pastor to see in the body. They're the most painful. They hurt the most. The ones that were trusted, the ones that were beloved, the known ones, the ones that God, according to his word, raised up. They demonstrated faithfulness. They demonstrated care. They demonstrated love and service and commitment. These hurt the most because all along the way or somewhere along the way, their hearts were wrong and far from the Lord. There are examples all throughout the Bible. This isn't new. Janus and Jambres, they resisted Moses and caused division among the people. Judas kissed the cheek. We all know Judas. When's the last time you heard a mom in the mall call her son Judas to her side? I mean, that name is so, so, like, it's, it's such, it, it brings so many horrific thoughts of Judas. Nobody, I, I, nobody names their kids Judas. Judah, maybe, which means praise. Judas reminds us of betrayal. How about Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, from all outward perspective, they were doing a great work. Many believe that Ananias and Sapphira were inspired to sell their plot of land when they saw Barnabas do the same thing. And that's together in the book of Acts there. Barnabas had sold his things and, and began to serve the Lord in his fullness. And then they, many believe Ananias and Sapphira were inspired by that. And so everybody's saying, oh, Barnabas is doing it. Ananias and Sapphira is doing it. But they couldn't pull it over on God. And through the revelation of a word of knowledge, a, a discerning of spirits, Peter called out their lie. And remember what he said? He says, he wasn't just, they weren't just lying to the, to the apostles. They were lying to who? The Holy Spirit. They were lying to God, the third person of the Holy Spirit. The very one that probably is referring why the Holy Spirit's mentioned there is that the Holy Spirit was moving them to sell, to, to get on board, to go for it. But along the way, they were corrupted. How about Demas? Serving God in such a great way. Serving alongside Paul becoming so fruitful and so important only to see him at the end forsake Paul and the ministry and go back into the world. And that's why I thank God for the gifts of his Holy Spirit, for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't always know. You know, our, our what we see is on the outside. That's not what the Bible says. Man uh, looks on the outward, but God knows the heart. We only look on the outward. And for the most part, everybody looks legit on the outward. Everybody looks like, you know, and then they, you know, there's even that where people learn the lingo really quick and they, they know the words and they show. And so you just, that's why it takes time to build relationship. But we don't know. We only see the outward. But we trust God with this church because he sees everyone's heart right now, mine included. And he will not allow a savage wolf to last very long in his church. He will not allow it. Sometimes and many times uh, he'll take care of a wolf before they do any damage, which is always great. 
Uh, because there's one, thing about self, there's one thing about deception that many people involved in deception tend to forget. They become self-deceived. And the self-deception comes where they think they can fake everyone all the time. You will not be able to fake everyone all the time. I don't know why you spend so much energy trying to fake out everyone out and live in life of deceit and never live in the truth. Haven't you found this to be true? Don't you know people in your life that if they just spent half the amount of time they spend on pulling off a lie... If they just spent half of that time serving God, they would be incredibly fruitful for the kingdom. But they're always working this, and what did I say here? And no, I didn't really mean that. And no, what you saw wasn't true. And they're always trying to pull off this deception on you. But while they're trying to deceive you, they're actually deceiving themselves. Because the Bible says that everything is naked and open before God. Nothing is hidden among us. And that's why I'm grateful for the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I know he'll take care of his church. False sheep and savage wolves do not last very long in a healthy church. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. And God will reveal. And you say, Ed, come on, man. Seriously, he'll reveal stuff? He'll reveal the hearts of men? It has happened more than one occasion in this church. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God would reveal. And it's a very difficult thing to, to deal with a wolf because they deny it all the way out the door. But what they can't deny are the people that they hurt and the people that they lied about and the gossip that they spread. They can't deny it. They do deny it, but the facts are the facts. And they are what they are. And you think, well, is there a biblical example of somebody being revealed like that? There is, back in the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel were going into the city of Ai to defeat it? And unlike Jericho, they were told, don't take anything. It all belongs to God. And there was this guy by the name of Achan that decided, you know, I don't believe that everything belongs to God. I'm going to take a few things for myself. And he took him home and he hid him under his tent. And God said, get up because there is sin in the camp, Joshua. That's why you experience defeat. And he revealed Achan one by one. I mean, the whole, everybody was lined up by their families and then one by one, all the way. Achan had a chance to confess all the way to the end. And his thievery was not only revealed, but it cost him his life. You see, the, the flock of God, and that's what we're described as in the Bible as sheep. The flock of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is very precious to, to him. He loves you as his precious flock. He loves you in, in who you are and what he wants to accomplish in your life. You, you may not feel that loved, and you may not sense or even acknowledge the love of God, but he loves his church. He loves this church, this local gathering. He loves the church, capital C, but he loves this church, little c. I just did another interview. You know, when somebody comes on staff here, the last interview that they have is in my office, and uh, we go through a series of questions uh, and have a good talk, a good strong discussion and dialogue about who they are, where they've come from, what are their views on, on different things, and what are their views on the scriptures and such. And one thing that I remind them of is that in order to serve here, in order to really thrive here, you have to have a love for this church. And what I mean by that is not, and this is almost exactly what I say, I, I mean, what I mean by that is not the church, 
you know, the, the church. I love the church, all the churches in the world. I love all the good churches, and, and I love the church, but I, meant, I mean this church, this local body, because we're a unique gathering of people. This is a unique gathering. We're not like other churches for on purpose. Now, we might share, obviously, we have to share core beliefs. We share uh, essential doctrines. For sure, we're like other churches in that way. But there was a plan and a purpose in the heart of God in raising up a brand new work right behind us here at Columbia Middle School 19 years ago. There was a plan and a purpose of God. He knew what he was doing when he wanted to bring a new fellowship family here in this city for the broader work of God throughout the metro area, throughout Colorado and around the world. It was in his, we didn't know it. We were discovering what God wanted to do. We didn't know, we just knew uh, that God wanted to do a new work. We all kind of showed up and over, over the years, we've been able to minister to many people. We're a unique church. There's a unique purpose. And, and you have, and I know you probably already know this, but it's worth being reminded, you have a unique pastor. Uh, he is a unique guy. And, and I have a background that, that includes a lot of bad things that God delivered me from, like alcohol and drugs and stupidity. Well, probably not completely delivered from stupidity, but like I'm, I'm on my way. Like I, I still have flesh in me. But like, and so because of my testimony, there, there is a draw uh, especially that part of my testimony, there's a draw that people are strung out on drugs and, and addicted that they hear something on the radio and go, you know what, if God can save that crazy guy, then he could save me. And so what happens? They show up to a church service and here they are, you're sitting next to someone that just reeks of alcohol. Now, if you can't handle that, then this isn't the church for you. That's kind of a bummer you can't handle that. Where else do you want them to be? Do you want them to be out on the street? Do you want them driving? Do you want them laying in a curb somewhere? Or do you want them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that he might save their soul? That's where I want them. And so they're gonna show up here. This is often the place in a ministry that we're a part of, especially because of our heritage. The heritage of our movement is with the down and out and the outcasts of society. The ones that the world said, there's no hope for, and you know, some of you were this group, so praise God you're still with us, but like they're known as the hippies. And you, you guys don't know who the hippies are? Go ahead and look it up on Wikipedia. You'll find out who the hippies were. They were just the crazy, I'm checking out on life type of people of their day. And, and God put it into the heart of a man, Pastor Chuck Smith, and his wife Kay to begin reaching out to them and minister to them and welcome them as they are, which was not the case in many churches in that day. And we are, even though I wasn't a, I, I was alive probably as a baby back then, but I wasn't a hippie. Uh, I don't know if I was a baby hippie, I doubt it, but I, was, I wasn't a hippie, but I have that same, like, that's my heart. It, you're welcome here. I don't care what your problem is. You're welcome here. I don't care what you're into. I don't care what sin you're a part of. I, I don't care what, what's happening. You are welcome here to receive the love of Jesus Christ and to be confronted with the reality of your sin. You have to love this church. And then, of course, you know, over the last five years, great tragedy has struck my life. As the, in May of 2013, my son passed away, and so now that has added a dynamic to our church, and so a lot of sad people come here now. A lot of broken people. Because they'll hear a testimony, and they'll see, man, if that happened to him and he's still standing, then maybe I can still stand. And so a lot of broken people are here. And you're like, well, I can't deal with broken people. We should always be happy and we should always be smiling. When I go to church, I want to always smile. I don't want to be around a bunch of sad people. This isn't the right church for you. And plus, you're not like, connected with reality because there's sad people everywhere. 
Like the brokenness of this world is beating people down. If you would just open your eyes, like you'd see them at work, you'd see them in the market, you'd see them everywhere. People are people. It's not a church thing. But like we, we are open to what God wants to do in this. And, and you know, you might kind of look and go, well, you know, I don't like that. Well, man, I don't know what to tell you. Find a church that you do like. Like why do you spend time arguing and all upset about things? Go find a church you like and serve the Lord. That's the best counsel I could give you. If you don't love what God's doing in this particular body, I don't judge you if you think, oh, I need to go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere else because we're gonna be in heaven pretty soon and you need to be busy about the Father's business. And when you're critical and murmuring and complaining, you're not about the Father's business. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. And so what does the enemy do? He gets us divided with one another, judging one another, upset with one another. I don't like this and I don't like that. As if the whole world, like you own the church, like I own the church. We don't own the church. Who owns the church? Jesus. And how did he own the church? By his precious blood. And so you you need to love this particular body of Christ. And so the church of Jesus is very precious to him. This church is very precious to him. And this church is very precious to me. This, this church that we're a part of, this is our church. And what I mean by that is this is where my kids grew up. This is where we grew up, my wife and I, where we've made a lot of mistakes in our leadership and we've learned how to grow and we've grown together and how God has used it. This church is special to me and I don't take very kindly to wolves. I don't like you if you're a wolf. And the best thing that you can do is repent and become a sheep because you're not gonna last very long here. We, we aren't gonna let you do damage to this church. We're not gonna let you hurt the people. We're just not gonna do it. So I'm just warning you right now. If you've come here, or you're listening right now, I think, oh, you know, I think Calvary's a place I can go hurt someone. No, it's not gonna happen. We're not, we, we guard this church with our lives. The people here are special, from the babies that were just born, or even still in the womb, to the oldest saint in our church, and everyone in between. You're special, you're important, and we're gonna teach you sound doctrine, and we're gonna commit you to the grace of God and to his truth, and we're gonna stand up for what is right, and we're going to teach against false doctrine, and we're going to protect you and guard you, and we're going to watch out for you. Of course, we're only human, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We're only human, so the Holy Spirit, is he does a good job taking care of his church. But if you're a wolf here, you are invited to leave kindly and quietly or repent, but you don't have a third option. And so even to the point where, even to the point where we have to gently escort you off the property, we'll do that for the sake of the sheep. We always choose the sheep. We'll preach the gospel to wolves, and we have seen some we have seen some wolves uh, drop their fangs and take off, you know, they're like sheep or wolf, sheep and wolves clothing would not be good, but wolves in sheep's clothing, that's what, that's what the Bible says. So, you know, you don't want to be a wolf in sheep's clothing because we know you by your fangs because every time there's a wolf, there's hurting people right behind them. And we start tracking, man, there's some things going on and we're seeing this stuff, we're seeing a pattern, we begin to pray what, God, what God's doing, what are you doing, God, what, what's happening in your church? And he's very, very faithful. And so don't, don't come to Calvary Chapel to hurt the sheep. Don't, don't come to this church and think you could take advantage of people. Uh, don't. 
And don't take this as a challenge. Well, I think pastors challenged me to come. Don't, don't take it as a challenge. Just repent of your sins and enjoy Jesus Christ. You guys with me? All right. Just want to make sure. So back to 2 Kings 11 because Athaliah here is a wicked woman trying to take the place of leadership in God's, over God's people. That's where we are. And this Joash is taken and hidden away for six years. Notice verse 4. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards and escorts, and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord, showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you come on duty on the Sabbath, shall be keeping watch over the king's house. Verse 6. One third shall be at the gate of Sir, and one third shall be uh, behind the escorts at the gate. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and he comes in. Verse 9. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears, shields, and belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escorts stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar of the temple. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony or the law. And they made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. So now six years of waiting, six years now have passed and it's time to act. And can you imagine for a moment having to wait six years? It's not an easy thing to wait, is it? It's not an easy thing to wait six minutes uh, and you go, well, I can think I can wait six minutes. Okay, well, next time you're at a fast food joint and it takes them six minutes to get your food, we'll just see how, and you're in a hurry. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't, we gotta go, we gotta, dude, it's been five minutes. Let him cook something fresh for you anyway. Just take your time, but we don't, we, we, we don't wanna wait for fast food. We don't wanna wait for the microwave. We don't wanna wait for anything. Imagine having to wait six years. And I have to say, I would say, you know, waiting six years or 60 years, it's really the same. You end up waiting what? One day at a time. Well, we can look back at all the days that have been uh, accumulated, but waiting six days, six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years, it's all the same. You're learning to abide in Christ in the moment because you're abiding in Christ, waiting what? In hope. And so you're not thinking, well, I have to wait six years, 60 years. You're just simply waiting. God, I wait on you. And I think it's good to be reminded that waiting on the Lord is very beneficial and very powerful, but oftentimes so hard. Waiting on God is very beneficial. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It is a natural benefit of waiting on God that your strength will be renewed. And Jehoiada waited six years before this plan came to play. And remember, they, they are anticipating that there's going to be a battle, that it's going to be difficult, that Athaliah is not going to give up so easily. So he puts all these guards in place, has it all set up, 
so that when it is time to crown him king, even though he's a little kiddo, to crown him king, that he would be protected. And finally it says, when everyone's in place in verse 12, he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the law, made him king, anointed him, and they all clapped their hands and said, long live the king. You see, God kept his promise once again. There is a king on the throne, one of David's descendants. And this is the value of waiting. Because this was a demonic attack. Truly, it wasn't just trying to have Athaliah sit on the throne as a queen mother. But rather, it was a demonic attack, a demonic scheme to not have a ruler from the lineage of David on the throne. Why? Because the devil knew... And he still knows to this day, now he knows the fulfillment, that Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And so here we see God keeping his promises that one of David's descendants is on the throne of Judah. And I know at times things look horrible. It's not all that you want. It's not all that you expected. And what seems to be God's heart for the matter is not measuring up with your heart on the matter in these difficult times of waiting. We just don't know what God's doing behind the scenes. We just don't see it. We don't feel it. I was just texting with another pastor today of a real difficult situation happening in his church, and, and I just felt like the Lord impressed upon me to say, you know, I know it's, this difficulty is still happening, and it even looks worse, but I get this sense that it's getting better. And so it's looking bad to the eyes Physically, it seems, oh, another situation, another difficulty. And here I am on the phone again, uh, taking care of something and ministering to him. And so it looks bad on the outside, but I just felt like, you know, it's by by my eyes of faith, it's going to get better. And it is getting better. That these things actually being revealed is a good thing. Because as they're being revealed, truth is being revealed. And it's a good thing for truth to come out in the open. It's a good thing for us to walk in the light as he is in the light because then we're going to have fellowship with one another and we're going to live in the light. We have nothing to hide from one another. And even though with your eyes, you know, and what you're feeling right now, it doesn't look good. It doesn't seem like it's improving. It seems like it's getting worse. I don't know what God is doing. We don't have every answer that we're looking for right now. I mean, six years this lady's on the throne. Six years. Six years of rulership of a wicked woman that doesn't belong. She usurped the throne. She's a murderess. And yet, God was working behind the scenes. Even in the waiting, the pain, the problems, the preparation for what's up ahead. It's important in these times of difficulty. It's important when things don't seem to make sense. Where we can't, we don't have an answer. And we can't explain it. And we're, we're knocked off our, our equilibrium and we can't stand straight. It's important t- in times uh, as, as we come to something that we don't understand and we don't fully grasp, we don't give up the things that we do understand. We just don't throw up our hands and give up on God completely just because of a few things we don't understand. God's ways are not our ways. And so what do we do? We fall back on the things we know don't change, that God loves me, that he's faithful, That even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. He's promised to never leave me or forsake me. He's promised, as he did in Romans chapter 8, that we know that God is working all things together for the good. We fall back on those truths and we just, it gets us through while we're waiting. We don't just throw away everything that we know for a few things that we don't know. And I just was thinking how difficult it must have been to wait six years while Athaliah was ruling and reigning in this place of God's authority. Six years. 
And so the circumstances might not change and you're finding it impossible to rejoice and you're finding it impossible to, to say, oh, this is so good, Lord, I know you're working, but it's so hard. You know, when you're in a hard situation for a long time, it begins to beat you up and, you know, you just, you just wonder, what's happened to me? You know, what's happened to my joy? What's happened? Let me show you. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2, would you? Philippians chapter 2. Because you know, things get hard and difficult, of course. Athaliah ruling for six years. It's like you don't want her to rule for six minutes. But notice, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. This is such a great encouragement to us. One of the greatest evidences of our relationship with Jesus is watching joy be restored in our hearts and lived out in our lives. And he says, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because God's working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain yes and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I'm glad and rejoice with you all for this same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 17 is an easy verse to read. It's a hard verse to live. I'm being poured out right now. I mean, when you pour something out, it's empty. It's gone. You're pouring out like a sacrifice. You're pouring out like a drink offering. But it's, he says, I'm doing, I'm doing it for you. And because I'm doing it for you, I rejoice. And I look forward and I invite you to rejoice with me. I don't always understand why God lets Athaliah's rule for six years. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but it's, I mean, you may not ever use these words, but you kind of think this, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. And we kind of use that. We may never use that phrase, but we use the scriptures that way. Well, you know, I got this scripture and that scripture. I wouldn't do it that way. But, but again, God's way is not our ways. And he had a purpose in Athaliah, allowing Athaliah to rule for six years years. And I don't under, always understand that kind of nonsense. I don't get it. I, I wish I would get to the point where I don't try to understand it. That's where my problem is. So I don't understand it, and then I try to figure it out. Let's just let it go. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. Allow God to do what he wants to do. I don't always see God working behind the scenes. I don't always get it. But as I go through them, I'm learning to trust God. I believe in whom I haven't seen and then joy is restored. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what establishes us. We sometimes think of joy and strength associated with full knowledge, but actually joy and strength often come when we don't have all the information that we want and that we desire, and that if we were in charge, we'd change it. We'd change it completely. I mean, think about it. One thing you'd, you'd change immediately if you were in charge is you would never put yourself in a trial you would take any trials that you thought were for you and give them to someone you don't like. That's what you would do. It says, give them to someone I don't like and I'm going to skate through life. But aren't you, aren't you who you are today by the trials you've experienced? Yes or no? And seeing the strength of God in your weakness? Yes or no? 
And aren't you growing in the image of, aren't you more like Jesus Christ today than you were a couple years ago because of what you've experienced in life, yes or no? So you aren't God. Just, God sent me here to tell you that today. You're not God, neither am I. And he's working all things together for the good. Oh, don't misunderstand me. It's not free. This isn't the freedom to just go off and sin, you know, because I, that, that thought, you know, is, comes to our minds. Well, man, if God's going to use everything, then I might as well just live for this world. That would be a foolish mistake. You know, Paul would even say, should we sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. You don't have permission. I don't have permission to sin. But we do have permission to remember that God is at work. We do are reminded today that joy is restored through waiting and trusting that God is working all things together, not some things, not most things, but all things. So notice verse 13, back in 2 Kings 11. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom, and the leaders and the trumpeters were there by the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. Okay, so pause here for a second, because I want to point something out to you that, that kind of speaks to uh, what you see in your own church, what you see in our fellowship. I want you to notice in verse 12 that at the, at the time of this king and their rejoicing, what are they doing in verse 12 there? clapping their hands and then come down here all the people of the land they're rejoicing in verse 14 there's music being played there's trumpets being played uh, they're tearing their clothes they're uh, and well she tore her clothes but there's a lot of worship going on a lot of excitement going on and and that like that that is something that god wants to instill in you that when the when there's a time of of music and worship that he wants you it's okay to clap and it's okay to well if you want to bring a trumpet and play it you should probably pass that by pastor ian first but you know like if that's your talent that's your gift why aren't you on the worship team yet like if that's where god has gifted you then you should be and then for those of us that can't play instruments the best instrument that we all play is our mouth it's our songs unto the Lord. And it's okay to be loud, and it's okay to sing out, and it's okay to clap. You know, a lot of times people get weirded out where at the end of a song somebody's clapping as if we're clapping for, we're clapping for the band or the team up here. That is not what's happening. This isn't a concert. The, the clapping is inspired by the words we just sang. It's hard to even just say, man, as you're singing it, I, I find that even when I'm singing it, I'll clap before they're even done because I say amen. That's like an amen. That, that's, a, that's a good thing, you know. You, so, like, clapping is okay. Singing out loud is okay. Raising your hands is okay. Uh, tearing your clothes, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But that's Athaliah doing that. So she's kind of putting on a show right now. and She's not really worshiping God. But you, we, we aren't doing a Bible study on worship right now. But if you look through all of the different places, there are different postures of worship, different ways to worship, different attitudes of worship, different actions of worship. Like it's not just sitting there in a chair or in a pew, just singing, you know, just like going along and hoping it gets, it's over really soon. Like God wants to draw out from you and add to you this element of music because you know as well as I do, music moves you. Music moves a person. God intended music in his creation of music to move a person toward worship. 
and the world and our culture and even the devil, who some ascribe as being the, the worship leader in heaven before the fall, that worshiping angel that was leading worship in heaven before the fall, that God knew that music would glorify him and honor him. And then after the fall, culture has used music to move people away from God and just fill with all kinds of wicked, crazy lyrics and, and all of that stuff. And it's not, you know, in the beat or in the drums. You know, a lot of, and that was years ago, you know, they were always, they, there were people going, oh, drums are from the devil and oh, guitars are from the devil. And you know, the beat and all They'll get into all that stuff. God uses music, and music should move you. Uh, they put music together. God gives people to put rhythms and noises and whatever. I don't even know all that stuff, but they, you know, Pastor Ian could do a better job on this. Pastor Jason could, as they know all the intricacies of music. But if you leave here and go, I don't like, I don't think I want to be in a church where music moves me. Seriously? Like, music should move you. You, you should be changed by at least one song in the church that you're attending. At least one. And it should be as exuberant as God would have you to be. And like I say, I don't always know the line for everyone, but I do know that the line in worship, the line in expressing ourselves in a corporate body is not to draw attention to ourselves. So there's some kind of line in your life that you want to be careful not to cross. But it's really between you and the Lord, isn't it? I mean, if you're really drawing attention to yourself in the body, <laughs> we, we'll probably talk to you about it because it'll be noticeable. But I'm, te- I'm telling you, in the freedom we've had in our church in almost 19 years, the occasions where someone has just flipped out and gone crazy and, and just did all, it was, I could count them on two hands, if that. For the most part of all the many thousands of people we have served over the years, it's been an exciting, wonderful time of different expressions of worship. You know, when you extend, as we talk about freedom today, and we think about freedom in our own country, and it reminds us of the freedoms that we have to worship, and it reminds us of the freedom that there's, there is in, in the Holy Spirit, when freedoms are expressed within a body of Christ, there are always those people that are worried, what will happen if you extend freedom? Man, let the Lord deal with that. Why, why would we want to restrict people? Why would we want to lay a heavy burden on someone? Why would we want to, to have some kind of legalistic rule that everyone has to follow? Instead, let's express freedom and we'll just deal with the exceptions that people don't know how to, how to handle freedom. And it's just really a discipleship moment to teach someone how to handle freedom and what that looks like. And, and I, I know that as you open yourself up to express yourself through worship, and even some people are, are uncomfortable in a Bible study atmosphere when I ask for some kind of response and you're like, I don't know, should I say something? Should I not say something? And I'm like, yes, yeah, say something. And you know, if you go too far, we'll just say, come on now. You're, a- you're amening like every second word I'm saying. Let's not do that because I just said the and 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 I doubt that that's worthy of an amen. Like there might be some spiritual truth that just moves you and, and yet, at sometimes, uh, we have met people from another church that maybe have been trained to amen every single second, and we just like, you know, amen has a purpose. It's an affirmation. It's a word of, I agree. And so, you want to save those for those times where you agree with the word, where God just gets you. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but a lot of times, I amen in my inside. I say it inside. I just, when I'm, you know, whether it's, well, when we're singing, you could say it out loud because nobody's really 
you know, it's so loud in here that uh, they're so filled with worship. He was like, amen. And unless, unless he takes it down real quick and then we find out you're singing a different song. <laughs> you're making up the words along the way. But at any rate, freedom is yours. So I just wanted you to see that. Now, now she sees what's happening. She cries. And of course, you know, this wicked woman is crying, treason, treason. And she usurped the throne. Isn't that just like the devil? Just like a liar. That's what happened, man. Just turning it around back on the spiritual ones. Verse 15. Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains and the hundreds and the officers in the army, take her outside under guard and slay her with the sword, whoever follows her. For the priest said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her. She went by the way of the horse's entrance to the king's house and there she was killed. Verse 17. Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Isn't that a good? Don't you want to make that commitment tonight? We are the Lord's people. I like that. We belong to you, Jehovah, by faith in Jesus Christ. That's a good commitment to make. Verse 18, all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars, its images, killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, and they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoahash was seven years old, or jo- and also known as Joash, when he became king. With a new king, even though he's seven, Jehoiada begins to establish God once again as the king of his people, and he calls for this affirmation and agreement of the people. And just like Jehu had done earlier in our studies in, up in Samaria, it's being done in Jerusalem. The temple of Baal is being destroyed. And the chief priests of Baal, which is the, the chief idolatry of the, of the time, the Ashtoreth and Baal, he's executed. And now the new king is established in his rightful place. But it came after what? Six years of waiting. Six years of waiting. And... It's amazing that as God is doing a great work, uh, as God is working among his people, he's faithful. And it says back in verse 2, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king of Joram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from the king's sons who were being murdered, and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. And he, he was hidden while they were waiting. There was something hidden. And while you're waiting, there's something hidden that you need to wait on God for his revelation. And God is at work behind the scenes. Just make yourself available to him. Make yourself available to be used by God, even if it means that God's going to be using you to do something that you won't see the fruit of it for six more years. And you're just like, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful today. Whatever you call me to do today, I'm going to be faithful to do it. And, and if you are part of Calvary and this is your home church, just know that the pastors and the leaders here, both those that are on staff and so many more that are volunteers, they love the church. And, and you're the church and so they love you. And they're here to protect you and guard you and point you in the right way. We're to shepherd the flock that's among us. And we're to serve you well. So pray for your leaders of your church. If you're, if you're here on a Wednesday night and you go to another church, pray for your pastor Pray for the leaders of your church. Pray that God would use them and protect them. 
Pray that God would give them boldness and strength to teach truth. You know, pray, you know, and obviously you don't need to pray that here in this church, but if you're in another church right now, pray that your pastor would choose to teach through the Bible, verse by verse, the power of God's word, not just some kind of entertainment, even though God will use his Bible every time, even if your pastor uses one verse as a launching pad into whatever he's gonna say, God will use that one verse. But if God will use one verse, won't he use 21 verses? I think he will. Won't he use 25? Won't he use from Genesis to Revelation? Isn't that what he gave us? the whole Bible, to disciple a whole Christian, to make us men and women of God. And as you're discipling your kids, you're discipling your grandkids, take them through the Bible. All of it. Don't be afraid of what God has revealed. Because I'm telling you, some of this, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible, you know, like we saw just recently, you know, heads being cut off and facing giants. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible, but there's even crazier stuff in this world. And we got to give our kids perspective on what they're seeing in this culture. Because we were talking about this and just praying through it like, you know, the kids today, they're, being, they're prone to stuff and temptations and crazy stuff that you just have to admit, guys, it wasn't like that when we were growing up. It was the same sin. It's a diff- different delivery method these days. And it's just unbelievably oppressive. So much so that it could almost seem like the devil's winning. He's not. He's a loser. He's been a loser from the beginning. And at the end of the day, we know at the end of the book, because we already know the last page, the devil loses. And he's a loser even right now. That God in his strength will help you as a parent, will help you as a grandparent, and even we as a church to come alongside of you, disciple your kids, strengthen them, point them in the way of the Lord. You know, we, we make a lot of decisions that way. A lot of reasons why we do things and don't do things is because we want the church to be a place where Jesus Christ is exalted and to minimize to the best of our ability any confusion and just let it be a refuge. Just let it be a refuge. I notice today you guys drive in all the time. So do I. I drive in the same. I pretty much drive in the same driveway, uh, come to church the same way, same driveway, and almost always park in a similar parking spot. I don't know why. It's just, do you guys have that same habit? Yes? No? Yeah, we just, same place. So, but today, the rock caught my attention that's, that we put out here when we built the building. And on, on the way out, it says, go and make disciples. I saw that on Sunday. But today, I just took note that the front of it, the plaque we put on the front, is the psalm that speaks of entering into his courts, his gates with thanksgiving. And, and this is what we want. This property, this piece of dirt, the asphalt, the building, it belongs to God. And it needs to be used to honor God. And our heart is that it honors God every day of the week, as many hours as possible, that we might be able to be used of the Lord to honor God. And so we want this place to be a refuge for you, even if just for 90 minutes or two hours, that this is God's house. I know it's just a building, but it belongs to him. And so because it belongs to him, we want to be able to come here to worship, to express ourselves, and and to be built up. Why? Because we're going to spend a lot more time outside of the building and interacting with the world in which we live, sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So maybe today you're in a place of waiting, and it's been five years, six years. Just know God's working behind the scenes, and at just the right moment, everything's going to be set up for the revelation of God's will in your life. So it's always too soon to quit. All right? You guys with me? Father, I thank you for the strength of your Holy Spirit, because it is always too soon to quit. But I I just confess to you, Lord, I, I don't like waiting. 
And it would be so much easier at times to not wait anymore and to throw in the towel. And our minds are just so much easier. But I thank you for the strength that you give to us. That word in the Bible that's hupomone, the ability to bear up under the load. It's a supernatural work. We cannot do it on our own. We aren't able to strengthen ourselves. We are not able to convince ourselves. We aren't able to self-talk ourselves or you know, just to live in this world of affirmation. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to live another day, to wait another day, and to honor you with our lives. And so I thank you, God, on a night tonight that we just gathered together, a lot of celebration, a lot of fun outside the walls, and we'll all be getting into that in just a few minutes. But for our time tonight, we're just in that place where we're blessed because we came. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that is truly one of the reasons why we gather and why the gospel is preached, why it's preached on, out on the radio, while it's preached on podcasts and on, on the internet, you know, and on video and all Instagram and all that stuff, all the work behind the scenes. The reason why the good news of the gospel is preached, why we study the Bible, is because it reminds us of the God who wrote the Bible and who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. That as bad as things might be right now, God's love still comes towards you. No matter what lifestyle you're in, no matter who you live with, no matter what you're into, God's love still is constantly going towards you. And you go, well, prove it to me, Ed. Well, the Bible says that, that the proof of God's love is the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And the proof, of, the proof that Jesus Christ was the true Savior of the world was in his resurrection. Buddha did not resurrect. Muhammad did not resurrect. Any other false teacher and guru did not come back from the dead. But Jesus Christ is alive right now. And he has risen from the dead and invites you into a relationship with him right now. And so if you want to experience real freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin and slavery and the penalty of sin, then today you can ask God and receive the free gift of salvation, to have your sins forgiven. You can ask for that to happen. You can say, God, I receive and I accept the forgiveness of my sins. And so for the sake of those of you in this room or maybe down in the cafe, in the building here, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and today you would like to do this, you would like to come and submit your life to God, would you stand to your feet? We want to pray with you. That We don't want to um, just assume anything about a gathering of people. We don't know who you are and what God's doing in your life, but God knows you. And this was the appointment that he had set for you. And of course, you could be on the radio right now too, uh, listening in, and you're just like blown away that God would meet you right where you're at right now. You had other plans, but God had other plans. And it's so faithful that God would meet us right where we're at. Just, just knowing that he loves you and he'll get the message to your ears no matter where you are. So anyone here, we want to give you that chance to respond openly and outwardly in your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Well, knowing that there are people that listen to this, they'll listen to it on the radio, they might be listening now. If, if you're listening to my voice right now and you're ready to submit your life to Jesus Christ, no matter where you might be physically, God is with you. And so just ask him. Say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? 
I believe you sent your son Jesus Christ to live for me and to die for me. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead and I submit my life to following you, God, all the days of my life. Help me to turn away from my sinful past, to be delivered in a real way that my life might honor you. No longer will I live for myself. And if you prayed that prayer, Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, you first must deny yourself that God has a better plan for your life than you do. Just to learn to live in submission to God. If you prayed and, um, you know, maybe you didn't stand, standing doesn't matter. It's really just a a sense where we get to be happy with you and and, um, encourage you. But if you're in the room, we have these packets up here that we'll have in a minute. The pastors will be up here uh, if you want to stick around and pray. Come on up and let us give you a packet. It's like, what do I do now? Um, because there's a life to be lived and we don't want you walking out like just some emotional experience but we want to put you on the path of discipleship and even explain to you what that means if you're on the radio right now and watching online you already know the website but if you're on the radio right now you can go to calvaryaurora.org and there's a tab that says how to know God and all the information we give away here at the church is on our website and so everything that we have all that you really need to know about following Jesus Christ, we put on our website on how to know God and all those beginning steps. So you can use that as a tool with your friends and family or if you're listening or watching, you can go there and click it all and uh, begin that path, that pattern of living for God beginning today. So church, let's stand together and you know, maybe during this last song uh, as uh, Pastors Ian and Jason lead us, that you might just wanna pray for someone by name like someone you know that needs to know the freedom of Jesus Christ, that you just want to lift their name up through heaven, you know, up to heaven today, and, and just don't forget, don't keep, don't stop um, praying. Um, don't stop praying. Um, one, um, one of the gifts that I received for Christmas this year was a book that my daughter put together that that has all these questions about my life, and she wants me to write in, you know, one of those things, what your favorite food, and uh, why won't Marie let you have a dog? Those kind of questions, you know. And, uh, and so I was filling it out today. I filled a page out. And there was a question like, um, what's one thing that you're glad that your parents did for you? And so I sat there at the table this morning. And, and uh, this is what I wrote, something like this. I wrote, I'm glad that my parents never gave up on me. Because, man, did I give them opportunities uh, and reasons and I was just sitting with a family in our church uh, yesterday and uh, their son is backslidden in a real heavy, hard, hurtful way. We don't, always, the, we don't always talk about the hurt of a parent and what a backslidden kid does to their parents. And so we were talking about that and I just remember looking them in the eye and go, don't give up on your kids. And they have no desire to give up on their kids. So it wasn't like that kind of counsel. It was just affirmation as in all their pain and all their desire don't give up on your kids. So maybe that's a word from the Lord for you today. Don't give up on your kids. Even if your kids are 60 years old, don't give up on them. Don't give up on your wife. Don't give up on your husband. Don't give up on your kids. Because remember, you might be waiting six years. You might be waiting 60 years. 
but ultimately you're waiting one day at a time, waiting in what? Hope. Hope. Hope is found in a person, not an action. So there's hope in the Lord. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.